I direct your attention this morning to the words that can be found in the short book, the very short letter of Philemon. Philemon, we'll be looking at the first seven verses of this one chapter book. You'll find that on page 845 if you're using a copy of the scripture under the seat in front of you. Many of you may think that I just pulled a fast one on you, that Philemon is not in the Bible. Maybe I meant Philippians. No, I mean Philemon. It's before Hebrews. It's after Titus. And it's on page 845, if you're using a a copy of the scripture under the seat in front of you. We finish our study this morning, friends, an eight-week study that we've been doing on gossiping the gospel. Our call to respond to that which we have been given. What it is that we say that we have been given by grace, the gift uh, to believe, the gift of faith, that we are then called and commanded to go into the world and gossip that gospel to one another, and to the world that is around us. We've looked at passages that are positive, do this, the command. We've looked at passages on this topic of the negative, what happens if we are idle and we don't obey. And today we look at one last very vital passage that's before us. What does this vital passage say? Well, let's give our full attention to the reading and preaching of God's word. Philemon, beginning in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. What do we know about God's word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Our Father, we recite that week in and week out. But by the power of your Spirit who reigns and dwells within us, even last week on Pentecost Sunday, now today the indwelling of that powerful Spirit, we believe it to be true because you are the one who has opened our eyes to behold the beauty of it, these beautiful things that are found in your Word. So do that again today. Through your Word and by the power of your Spirit, give us a fuller understanding of all of these good gifts that we have been given in our Savior, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. I am technology deficit, and and I'm okay with that. I really am okay with that. I do not have a Facebook page, and nor will I ever have a Facebook page. I, uh, I... (laughs) I know only what it is that I know. My telephone is outdated. It's an Android. It's outdated, but I'm okay with that because I know what I know about this particular telephone. I don't want to trade it in and get an upgrade because then I'm going to have to learn some whole new technological support system of something of this, that, or the other, and I don't have time for that. Really, I probably have time for it. I have no desire for that. If you ever come to the church... During the week, you'll probably hear me say more than one time, Lakeisha, come in here. I'm not printing. I can't figure this out. This is broken. And she just says, move. And I get out of my chair. And she sits down and she fixes the problem. And I am 
okay with that. That's what I hired her for, is to take care of all of those things because I am deficit in my, theo or in my technology, not theology. <laughs> Erase that from the tape. Jennifer many times hands me her telephone and says, look at this picture. And I grab the picture and it's, I don't Instagram, Pinterest, I don't know what these things mean. And I'm, I'm like this. And she says, Bryant, you can't make the picture bigger. It's Instagram or Pinterest or whatever it is. And I'm okay with that. I'd really like to have it bigger so that I didn't have to wear these reading glasses so that I could see it. But I'm okay with that. I'm deficit in technology and, and that, that's quite all right with me. But you know, my friends, I guess that's my point I want to ask us today. I know it is my point I want to ask us today. I want us to think about that. Are we gospel deficit? We, we have a head knowledge. We have an understanding of everything that we know to be true by divine revelation through the power of the Spirit that we talked about last week, that Pentecost Sunday of now the indwelling work of the Spirit, where Paul talked about that in 2 Corinthians, that it causes the scales to fall from our eyes, that we can see what Schaefer called true truth, that we can understand the Scriptures. God reveals himself to us, and we are okay with that. We're okay with understanding what it is that we understand, but do we have a full understanding of all that we have been given? Are we continuing to grow in, our gra in grace such that it's not simply just something that we believe with our heads, but it's actually something that has impacted our hearts and therefore changed our lives completely? Through this eight-week series of gossiping the gospel, that's what we have been saying. That we are not only those to be filled with knowledge in our minds, in our understanding cognitively, the gift that God gives to us, but the fullness of that knowledge then transforms our heart and from the inside out, from streams of living water, as Jesus said to the, the Samaritan woman at the well, it boils up within us that Others see this gospel alive and well within us. Or are we gospel deficit? Are we okay with not having all the answers? Are we okay with somebody else going out and doing the work for us? Like, I'm okay with Lakeisha coming in and fixing my computer for me. I don't want to know that. Are we okay with staying right inside here in these walls and letting somebody else take the gospel to the nations that are right here around us. Has this gospel grabbed you, my friend? If it has really grabbed you, it has changed you from the inside out. That's what we have been studying the last eight weeks. It has changed you from the inside out. And so now what it is that you know in your mind to be true, we are seeing, ought to see, in one another as we live this gospel together, and as we share and gossip this gospel with those that are around us. Look at what Paul says in verse 6. He is praying that we would have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. He is praying that this would not simply be something that you have right here in your head, but you would have a full understanding, a complete understanding of head and heart combined. And what we say, what we believe, is actually what we live, what we do together and for the world around us. 
this is probably one of the smallest, it is one of the smallest books in the Bible. It is only one particular chapter. It doesn't even have a chapter number. It just goes by verses instead of chapters because it is only one chapter. So let's, let's think about this full understanding. If Paul is praying that this is something that would take place for the church that meets in Philemon's home, by divine inspiration, he's saying the same thing for us. The Savior is now at the right hand of the Father, ascended back to the Father, and he lives to intercede for us. The Savior interceding that we would have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in him. What does that mean? Well, we begin then by looking at the, the brevity of the book, uh, uh, the context of the book. We are never free, friends, listen please, we are never free to pull a, a verse out of Scripture and make it say something that we want it to say and avoid the context in which it is given. Words have meaning, meaning, words and sentences, sentences in paragraphs and paragraphs in books. There are lots of commentaries on this little bitty small book, and you will be hard-pressed to find two that agree with one another. There is lots of discrepancy about this particular book, and it begins with the list of names in the very beginning, in verse 1 and 2. There are all kinds of views, and any commentary will have a different understanding. Apphia. Who is Apphia? Well, some people say it's Philemon's wife. And other people say it's Onesimus' wife. That's the slave that we later read about in the book. Some people say she's just a, a faithful saint, a godly woman in the church that meets there in Philemon's home. Archiopus, who is that? Some say, well, this is Apphia's son, and therefore uh, the son of Philemon or the son of Onesimus. And other people say, no, he's just a, a faithful man in the, in the church that meets there in his home. The reality is we simply just don't know. We, we don't, and that's okay. We don't know who these individuals are, but we know something about these individuals. And that's what Paul's point is, I believe. Look how he starts the book. He starts it in a very unique way. Unlike the other, the 12 other, this being his 13th book that he writes, he says, Paul, a prisoner. A prisoner, he doesn't say an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ or a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ as he does in other letters, but he says a prisoner. This helps us now with dating the particular book. Paul is in Rome. It's late in Paul's earthly ministry. He is now in Rome, in prison, a long way away from all of the different churches that he has planted in what is now modern-day Turkey and in the Promised Land. He is now in prison, and so it dates the book later in his ministry. We go on to read in the book, Onesimus is a slave. This is something else that we know, that slavery in that culture uh, was common, and slavery in that culture had very little regard for life. When a master died, the master owned all of his slaves. And when a master died, sometimes the slaves were put to death because the master was gone. There was no more use for the slave anymore. There was no regard for life at all. But Onesimus now is a slave. He is a slave of Philemon. 
And he comes to Rome. How he gets there, we don't know. How he meets Paul, we don't know. Perhaps he was arrested for something and he was put in prison like Paul was in prison. But this, friends, we do know. We do know he comes to saving faith. And so Paul would say to Philemon, Philemon, by the way, was from Colossae. Paul planted the church in Colossae, modern-day Turkey today. Paul planted that church there. And so he says to Philemon, you owe me your very life. That's what he says in verse 19 at the very end of it. You owe me your very self. What we can put together by this, deduce from this, is that Philemon was converted to the gospel under the faithful preaching of the Apostle Paul, most likely when Paul was there planting the church in Colossae. And so Paul, or Philemon, becomes a member of the church that Paul is preaching and teaching. And now Paul says, you owe me your very life. I could force you to do something, he says in verse 8, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to appeal to you uh, on this thing, on this common connection here, that I gave you the gospel through the divine inspiration of the work of the Spirit, and you came to saving faith. And that brings us together. We are now useful together. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 really has actually a play on words we don't get uh, in our English translation. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. So Onesimus receives the gospel as well through the Apostle Paul. Formerly he was useless to you, but has now become useful to both of us. And if you look at your footnote there, Onesimus simply means useful. And so he's using his name as a play on words. He was a slave to you, Philemon, which meant he was useless because life was cheap. But he's not cheap anymore. He is what his name says, and that is useful. And he's useful to you, and he's useful to me. Why? Because now there is this common connection, this unity that we have, and we are unified together by this one gospel that saves. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. This is why this little book is in the canon. The one-word summary for this book is reconciliation. Paul is pleading for Philemon, the master, to reconcile with Onesimus, his slave. Now, slaves back then were given great uh, freedom, higher slaves in the pecking order, so to speak. And some of them were given goods to take to market to sell and then bring money back. Or some were given money to go to market to buy goods and to come back. Most likely what happened is Onesimus either had goods to sell, he sold them and had money, or he was given money to go to the market and he didn't go. Instead, he got on a boat, had to, because it's the only way he could get all the way around to Rome. There's no connection. So he goes all the way around to Rome and there he meets the Apostle Paul by divine inspiration, however they met, and Paul gives him the gospel, not simply something that he knows with his head, but something that he knows with his heart. I can only imagine the, the conversation. Well, tell me your name again, Onesimus. Oh, that's a cool name. That means useful. Yeah, yeah. And, and what are you again? Well, I'm a slave. Oh, really? Where? Colossae. Oh, I've been there. <laughs> I've, I've spent some time there. Uh, who's your master? Philemon. Doggone it, I know Philemon. I, I brought Philemon to, the, to saving grace. I, I, I led him to the Lord. And here's what he believes. And he shares it with Onesimus. And now we have this common bond. We're useful together. Reconcile. This is what Paul is saying. Philemon, I could, I could 
I could beg you to do it. I could force you to do it. Verse 8. But I'm not going to do that. Because now by this common gospel, this unity together, he is, he's useful to you, not simply as your slave, but as a fellow believer. And that's why Paul says in verse 4, it, his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And your love for all of the saints is the same love that he now has for all of the saints, which is exactly what Paul says in verse 7, it refreshes my heart. My heart is refreshed to know that you love the Lord Jesus. You have received this gospel in your head and in your heart. And now your slave, Onesimus, has received this gospel. He has the same faith, the same love, and he's refreshing my heart like I hope to be refreshing your heart. So friends, let me ask you this now. With that kind of understanding of the context of the book, are you at odds with somebody here at Redeemer Church? Is there somebody that's sitting on the other side of the sanctuary this morning because you are simply not going to reconcile with them until they come to you and do something for you that satisfies you? You are not going to reconcile with them. How is that having faith here and faith here as well? Isn't that gospel deficit? Isn't it deficit if we say that this gospel reconciles us to God, that I am separate from God, like our confession this morning, but now I've been clothed in righteousness. I've been given the bridegroom's clothes of righteousness. Jesus took my sin on himself, gave me his righteousness, that I'm reconciled now to my heavenly Father by the gospel. That means now that I'm reconciled with you. Sons and daughters are brothers and sisters. If we're not reconciling with one another, then we're not living the gospel out together. And it's something only in our head and not with our hearts. We're gospel deficit. What about in your own home? Are you at odds with your spouse? Are you refusing to reconcile with your spouse? Are you, refuse, are you waiting for them to take the first step and come do something that satisfies you? Or are we actually living this common faith, common love for one another that refreshes our souls and our hearts as we live this gospel together? What about when we just get around the tables together in fellowship or in the hallways? Is the conversation motivated by the gospel of grace that we have been given? This common faith, this common love that we have for one another that refreshes our spirit and our soul and our hearts as we just gossip this gospel together. Friends, if that is not happening, then we are gospel deficit. We know it up here, but we don't know it here, and we're not living it out Therefore, we're gospel deficit. That's why this book is here. That's why this little letter is here. To remind us yet again, the full understanding, listen friends, the full understanding of all of the good things that we have in Jesus. Jesus brings us back together again. Jesus, who died for us and gave us his righteousness, unites us with himself and his Father in order that he now might unite us with one another, this common gospel that is ours. That's what we're gossiping together as we live it out. All right, so now then, with that, with that understanding, 
the full understanding of the letter, those things that we don't know, and some of those things that we certainly do know, what does this have to do with gossiping the gospel? What is it, why is this in an eight-week series on sharing our faith? Well, I can tell you why. I picked it because of verse 6. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. You see that? That's the NIV reading. I know the ESV is a little bit different. I picked it now, see, because I went back about 15 weeks ago and I was thinking ahead for my sermon series of where I was going to go. And I picked my eight passages of just doing a study on the passages that I wanted to use. Typically, we preach through a book, expository. But I told you I'm going to step out of a particular book. I'm going to go textually. I'm going to find texts that give us the command, the idle destruction if we don't share our faith, all of these things. And I found this one. I pray that you would be active in sharing your faith. And I said, boom, we got to add that one, right? I mean, that's a no-brainer. We got to add that one to the list. Oh, and then I studied this passage this week. And that is not what this means. That is not what this means at all. It floored me. It blew me away, and I want to share it with you, my friends. I want to share with you the conclusion that I've come to, and yet it's still part of our, part of our study today. If you look at verse 5, and you look at verse 7. Both verse 5 and verse 7 have the context. Now remember, we cannot pull a scripture verse out and make it say what we want it to say. We have to take it in context. Verse 5 and verse 7 give us the understanding of this unity that we have, this common faith, common love, the refreshing of our hearts and our souls because of the unity that we have in the gospel. Does verse 6, therefore, does he grind gears and change gears where he says something in verse 5 about this unity that's ours, but then in verse 6 he goes, now I want you to be active in sharing the gospel, gossiping that gospel, and then in verse 7, come back to the unity? Is that possible? It's possible. Do I believe that's what, it is, what he is doing? No, I don't. Verse 5 sets the stage for verse 6, and verse 6 then leads us to verse 7. Verse 5, literally translated, would read like this. I keep hearing of your faith and love for Jesus, which runs over to all of the other believers. And so he's saying, my heart is warmed, it's refreshed, it's touched, because I keep hearing of the faith that you have that is spilled out, not simply in your head, but now in your, in your actions, in your hands as well. And so I'm praying for you. And then we get to verse 6. And there is more controversy on, on verse 6 and among the commentators than any verse in this whole book, this whole short letter. The only, it's ironic that the only thing that they really agree on is the first two words, I pray. And ironically, it's not even in Greek. <laughs> I pray is not even in Greek in, in verse 6. Uh, it, you know, Paul was known for those long sentences, those run on, run on, run on, run on. I mean, he writes a sentence that's this long and it's full of commas. We actually get the concept of prayer in verse 4. That's where we read the, the Greek word for prayer. And the translators have just pulled it down to verse 6 because it's not literally in verse 6. And yet that's all the commentators agree on. <laughs> is that he's praying, and it's not even there. I, I found that funny. I thought that was just ironical. <laughs> anyway, 
a lot of misunderstanding then on verse 6. What is he saying? Be active in sharing your faith. Has he changed gears or is he actually saying the same thing? Friends, listen. Literally translated now in Greek, if you took Greek and you just translated it word for word as it's written in Greek, this sentence, verse 6, would read like this. In order that the fellowship, the faith of you, effective may become in knowledge by all means to usefulness to you into Christ. This language, like many other languages, is not written like English where all of our words are in order, but we do jump around for the direct object and the verbs and so forth and the pronouns. So it would literally read, in order that the fellowship, the faith of you, effective may become, in knowledge by all means, usefulness, there's that play on words again, useful, to you unto Christ. The New American Standard, which is very faithful to the Greek and Hebrew, translates it like this so that we can understand it. Literally translated then in the uh, in New American Standard, it would read like this. In order that the... Uh, nope, that's what I just read. And, and I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. And I pray that the fellowship of, you, of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. Here's what he's saying, friends. When he tells us to be active in sharing our faith, the Greek word there is koinonia, from which we get the word fellowship, the translated word fellowship. From this common love that we have because of this common faith that we have that refreshes our hearts and our souls, Paul is actually saying the same thing in verse 5, 6, and 7. I keep hearing of this faith that you have in Jesus which is boiling up within you and spilling out to other believers. And now, because of this fellowship, because of the fellowship that you have with one another, I'm praying that it would be effective for the knowledge that you have, a deeper understanding of what God has given to you. Here's what Paul is saying. He is saying the sharing of the fellowship, not faith, but the sharing of fellowship is something that we celebrate in. We share in this faith together. It's not the sharing of our faith in communicating the gospel outside, but the sharing in our faith, which is actually fellowship. It is this unified gospel that has drawn us together that we are now called to live out among one another. Are you with me? So active in your fellowship means active in living the fellowship inside. Because then as a result of living it on the inside, we will be faithful in taking it to the outside. It doesn't negate the fact that we still are called to gossip the gospel, but being active in the sharing of our faith is the sharing of our lives, sharing in this faith, not the sharing of this faith. We've got to live it together first, beloved, before we will ever get out there and share it with others. If we're not living it inside, then everybody out there has the right to point fingers at us and say, I don't want any part of that, because they're filled with nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. They say one thing, but they don't live it together. They're gospel deficit. We've got to live it, beloved. We've got to share our lives together. 
and in sharing our lives together, refreshing our hearts with this common gospel, this common faith, and this common love that we have forever for everyone. Then we have a fuller understanding of what God has done in bringing us together. The only way I can love you and the only way that you will ever love me because of all of the warts that I have, the only way we will love one another is when we understand the love that we've been given in Jesus Christ. When I understand how much God loves me and sent his son to die for me, then I'm glorifying him and I'm enjoying him forever. I'm enjoying the favor of God by living life with you. When we do that, there will be no containing this gospel in this place. It will boil up within us like streams of living water. And it will burst out that back door and out the front door and to every place you go all week long as you hear and hear are communicating, gossiping this gospel of grace. I love to go fly fishing. Have I ever told you that? <laughs> I told you a few weeks ago that I bought a new eight-weight rod, an eight-weight fly rod, because as much as I love to fly fish, I only knew it in part. I didn't have a full understanding of what it meant to fly fish. Because with my little four-weight rod, or a lot of my five-weight rod, uh, when I go fly fishing in Colorado or Oklahoma or Arkansas into the, into the streams, I'm trout fishing. And the, I have to have these and a 3.0 so that I can see that little bitty fly to tie the line on the very end. Because when you're fly fishing for trout, your, your fly is smaller, about the size of your little bitty fingernail on your little finger, and that's a pretty big fly. So I've, I, all I have ever understood about fly fishing is this beautiful little fly that I tie on the end and I walk the streams and I fish for trout. But then someone told me, why don't you ever go fly fishing for bass? I thought, hmm, well, I don't know. I've never thought about that. So I went and got me an eight-weight rod for here and for down on the island where Jen's mom lives when we were going down there frequently and I'll do some bay fishing in the, in the ocean as well. An eight-weight rod is much heavier than a four-weight rod. But it's not, it is the weight of the line, the fly line, which allows you to cast. And it's usually ten and two. And you pause. And you whip and you pause. And that's so that you can get the line straight before you advance it further and further. If you, if you did it like this, you'd just get this line that would be whipping back and forth like that. But the problem is bass don't want these little bitty flies. They like, well, they, they do, but you can get popper type flies that are bigger. They're about, you know, they're about this big and they weigh, they weigh a ton compared to these other flies. And if you put that on the line and you start doing 10 and two, this line is it's so heavy, you can't, you can't control it. And then if the wind is blowing, it's even worse. So I subscribe to Fly Fisherman magazine and I'm reading this article about uh, this technique this technique of hauling, or double hauling. And it says, just take all the line out, right there at your feet that you want in front of you, and then all you do is, as you're, as you're doing your 10 and 2, you're pulling the line through this way, through the rod, to tighten up that loop. So you're pulling it and letting some go. And you're pulling it and letting go. So I went fishing this past weekend for bass, and I'm trying this new double hauling. I look like Charles Hart out there directing Magnificat. <laughs> <laughs> Just like this, 
but I've, and it's further and further and further, and woof, out it goes. And I caught some beautiful bass, some beautiful bass. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know what? Now I have a fuller understanding of this very thing that gives me great passion called fly fishing. I have a fuller understanding, not only of trout, but now bass, so I can do it 52 weeks out of the year <laughs> instead of just a few weeks out of the year. Friends, and such is the case with the gospel. Do you have a full understanding of what you have been given in Jesus? Do you have a full understanding that your sins have truly been paid for? Do you have a full understanding of what it means to be a son or a daughter of the living God, an heir to the eternal riches that are yours? If you do, then we are seeing that in your life. You are seeing it in my life. And we are living this common faith, this common love, this refreshment of heart and soul together. And when we do that, nothing will contain that explosive power that will blow it up out of this place where there will be a line at the font of the Lord Jesus Christ to come and be a part of koinonia, of fellowship, true fellowship together. By the power of the Spirit, may it be so. Let us pray. Father in heaven, what a joy it is to know that we are yours, this full understanding that's ours in Jesus Christ. My sins, not in part but the whole, were nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, it is well with my soul. Oh, top lady had it right, Lord. So please, Father Spafford, please uh, seal that to us, we ask. Give us Give us a, a fuller understanding of this gospel that we might marvel more at your grace and mercy that you have extended to us in Jesus. And then we might live it out. And living it out, sharing in it together, we then might take it to every part of this community around us and to the entire world, to the uttermost parts of the world, to our Jerusalem, to our Judea, Samaria, in the uttermost parts of the world. Do it, please, for your own glory and for our growth. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.